just love it this morning, being able to pray for one another. It seems so kind of normal, but yet so novel at the same time, doesn't it? We, can, we get to pray with each other, but then we get to pray with each other. It's kind of two different things, isn't it? So anyway, I thought I'd just add that on. Good morning, everyone. My name is Russell, and I'm one of the elders here at BFC. And you probably noticed that every time somebody comes up to preach, they go, good morning, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a, a member, an elder, whatever. And they explain a little bit about themselves, and that phrase kind of carries a lot of meaning, doesn't it? I'm an elder, so some people will be thinking, oh, he's very involved in the church, yes. Oh, he must be been a Christian for a while, yes. He's extremely smart, yes. <laughs> and absolutely dashing. <laughs> Does that go for all three of us then? Yes. <laughs> but there's a lot that it also doesn't convey. It doesn't say, I, uh, sorry, says, doesn't say, who am I married to? Doesn't say, I have kids. Doesn't say that I do this full time or, or uh, I have a different job as well, part of it. Doesn't, it doesn't say a lot of things. It says something, it doesn't say a lot. And so what is needed is some clarity. And so then you say, yes, I'm married to my wife. I've got two. I'm married to my wife. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm married to Marika. <laughs> I've got two kids. There's a lot more information that is needed than just say, I'm an elder. And it's the same when we talk about Christianity. I can go, hi, I'm Russell, I'm a Christian. It's not very clear, is it? Every single person will take that slightly differently. It's a loaded sentence almost, and it depends on your background, where you're from, what tradition you might come from, what circumstances, and even to other Christians. They might understand the gospel slightly differently. They might have a different view. And so when you say I'm a Christian, it's a nice phrase, but it, it needs clarity. And because God is good, he's given us some clarity when it comes to these things. And we have this amazing book that sometimes gets forgotten about, gets in a bit of the dust aside. But there's clarity in here for these questions. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Let's go to the book. And today, we're continuing in our series in Ephesians, and it's a, a short passage, but it brings a lot of clarity to that question of, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? We need instruction in this. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians in Ephesus and, and the surrounding area, and they were struggling with the same thing. I'm a Christian. Okay, but what does that mean? There's a, there's a lot going on in Ephesus. Pretty much like this today, there's a lot of, well, I wouldn't say paganism going on, but there, is, there was things other than God that they were focusing their attention on. And as Christians, how do they navigate that? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live in a society that's quite corrupt? My Bible has a little commentary at the start of each book, giving a brief overview. And I actually really love what it says about Ephesians. It'll be up here. It says, Ephesians is addressed to a group of believers who are rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet living as beggars, and only because they are ignorant of their wealth. Since they have yet to accept their wealth, they relegate themselves to living as spiritual paupers. Challenging, isn't it? Why don't we try something here? 
Ephesians is addressed to BFC, a group of believers who are rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet living as beggars and only because they are ignorant of their wealth. Since they have yet to accept their wealth, they relegate themselves to living as spiritual paupers. How about one more? Ephesians is addressed to me, a believer who is rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet living as a beggar, and only because I'm ignorant of my wealth. Since I've yet to accept my wealth, I relegate myself to living as a spiritual pauper. Well, we know this book wasn't addressed to us individually. That truth rings true. We don't want to be living as spiritual paupers. There is a wealth beyond measure, and we've been worshipping God this morning about it. And Paul's wanting us here to, he's saying to us in this book, I want you to know this. I want you to live wealthy lives in Jesus. And the spoiler alert is we can. As much as this is the truth, there is the reward and the freedom in Jesus. And we're going to get to that. But what Paul is doing is he's giving clarity to that question. What is a Christian? What is truth? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this book. Lord, I want to thank you that the truth that Paul has written here all these years ago still rings true today. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand more about you and the goodness of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to break this passage into two parts, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So the first part, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And it will be up there as well. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the two parts that I'm going to break it down into, the first part will have a a lie and a truth, and the second part will have a lie and a truth. And this first part, I want us to look at these two things. The first thing is this lie that we're told in society today. We're all basically good people, right? And the truth of what Paul is saying here. We were dead. Doesn't hold back punches, does it? (laughs) Not... You were mostly good Ephesians. Mostly, and you just just tweak a few little things, please. No. You were dead. We were dead. The lie that we are sold today is that we're all basically good. It's peddled everywhere, isn't it? We see it in the media. Jokes about St. Peter standing at the pearly gates, checking, okay, are you good enough to get in? The truth of the matter isn't, oh, you were good, or oh, you were bad. That's missing the point completely. We were dead. Dead. And Paul, you could see, we were dead. I even wrote in my notes here, all capitals, D-E-A-D, exclamation point, exclamation point. Dead. Separated from a holy God. We were spiritually dead and unable to do anything to save ourselves. Like a corpse, unable to move, 
and make itself alive again. The lie tries to diminish the work of Jesus on the cross by elevating ourselves to, not that bad, basically a good person. And it's easy for us to fall into that trap today. How many of us have thought, well, at least I'm not like him. <laughs> or, I'm not perfect, but oh, she's awful. <laughs> We've all thought it. This is the lie that we fall into. It is a lie. It is a trap. No. We were all dead, separated from God. There's no different levels of bad or even worse. There's no goodness or attaining salvation. We were dead in our sins and trespasses following the course of the world. This isn't just a few people or just the bad people. This is the world. Each and every single person alive today on earth is guilty of these trespasses and sins. And it's so easy to relegate the seriousness of our depravity to a joke, saying, I'm not that bad. I don't hurt anyone. Paul's not holding back any punches, and he wants us to get this. He wanted the Ephesians to get it. He wants us to get it. He goes on to describe the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is describing the devil. And there's just a short thing that I want you to take notice about the prince of the power of the air. Only a prince, because there is only one king, and his name is Jesus. Peter cautions us in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's easy to make light of our situation. I'm not that bad. Or... The devil's that misunderstood guy, the little red dude on the shoulder. It's not that bad. Paul's trying to wake us up here. No. Don't you understand? You were dead. And the prince of the air, who, by the way, hates you, wants you dead. Peter agrees with me, he's going, basically, who describes him as, he wants to devour you. Are we listening? Do we understand this? Does Paul have our attention. He's not speaking in riddles, roundabout ways here. He's not trying to soften the blow. Go, yeah, yeah, it's okay. He's speaking the truth with that needed clarity. And this is quite relevant today as we go into the season of Halloween. Relegating the evil to something cute and fun. Let's remember this. We need to be sober-minded because the devil is prowling. That's the first two verses. We can almost see now a pause between verses 2 and 3, like, whoa, 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 okay, Paul. I hear what you're saying, but you're telling me it's the devil's fault, yeah? So it's not my fault, really. And Paul is quick to respond and go, no, 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 no. He says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and minds and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We've all made choices that placed our desires and passions of the flesh above following Jesus, considering us more important than him. We were all by nature children of wrath. An important thing to note here, and it's for another sermon as well, but we will not be able to fully understand God's love if we don't understand God's wrath. God's love has been reduced to sentimental feelings today. But Paul, again, with crystal clear clarity, 
explained that we were all children of wrath, all a part of a family deserving divine judgment. Jesus said in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus does not say, if you reject me, God's wrath will be on you. He says, it will remain on you, because we are, by nature, children of wrath. I'm using strong language here that seems a bit depressing, because as Paul is trying to alert the readers, I'm trying to alert you as well. And this was a wake-up call for me as well. We don't want to be forgetting about the riches that we have in Jesus and grabbing these pauper rags on. We can learn from Paul that this is no small thing that we are saved from. The gospel is not just a nice thing. I like how Craig reduced that last week. I thought, I'm going to have to say something nice. But it's true. You think of the gospel. It's nice. When we tell our friends about it, they go, oh, it's nice for you. Oh, I'm glad you got that. It's nice. Sweet. Oh, you're a good person. I'm not a bad person. Can you see the lies? Can you see it creep in? And it filters into our lives as well when you start going, it's not that bad. It wasn't that bad. It's not that bad or good. It's we were dead. We were dead. We need to understand that condition that we were in. And if we don't understand it, if we don't understand what we are saved from, we become ignorant of it. And our urgency towards others diminishes. I'm guilty of that. I think we all are. How often are we distracted? We're fooled by appearances. Oh, that's a really good person. Great. We lose sight of the work of God. That's exactly what the prince of the air wants. If he can't have us, he will twist the truth. So it's not that bad for others. That lie is that we are not that bad. And the truth of the matter is we were dead dead. Good and bad are irrelevant if you're dead. And that truth should wake us up from our apathy slumbers. Because if you reject Jesus, you're spiritually dead. And God's wrath remains on you. This is the truth. And it makes us uncomfortable. You can hear kind of there's a silence. Normally I like a whoop whoop and I'm not getting any. It's uncomfortable. We tend to push this truth away into a corner And we've all got friends and families and loved ones and colleagues who are spiritually dead in it. The pain of it, to even think about it, hurts. And we shove that truth into the corner and forget about it. And we console ourselves with the lie. Not that bad. Not that bad. And the truth is written here plain to see. We throw off our riches for dirty rags by ignoring the reality of the consequences of sin. Paul is telling the truth here and giving us that clarity and it is vital that we listen. Do you know that you were dead? Do you hear it? Do you see it, what Paul is saying? I need to hear this myself. This whole week, it's been kind of, wow. So, you know, what was I? I wasn't this good person that could attain this. I was dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. I needed that clarity. I need that clarity. And we're not to be ignorant We're not to be ignorant of our sins and trespasses, and we're not to be ignorant of our salvation. Paul has painted a bleak full picture, 
a bleak picture, but a truthful one. And we cannot move on to the subject of salvation with full understanding of a life that rejects Jesus. And Paul holds no punches. All right, three verses. Shall we move on? Now you'll notice there's a change. Something amazing is going to happen. So just as before, we move on to the second half of this, this uh, passage. I'm going to separate into two things, about a lie and a truth as well. And we'll have it up here, the next passage, please. And the first thing that we read there, but God. You were dead, but God. You were a child of wrath, but God. You were a slave to your passions and sinful desires, but God. Two words that will change your life. But God. Let's read the the full passage. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So what's the lie that we're told in society? Just be a good person. It's enough. At least I'm not bad. Just be good. And the truth of it, we are made alive only by God's grace. We were dead. We all have sinned. And the price for our salvation is too great for any of us to be able to pay. But we have a God who is rich. Rich. Rich in mercy. Rich in love. And he lavishly poured out his love on us. In that we were dead in our sins. Unable to breathe life into ourselves. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Made us alive together with Christ. Do you see the beauty? Can you see the juxtaposition of where we were? But God, but God. When you, see the, when you understand the position we were in, then the gift of salvation, it's even bigger than any of us can even begin to fathom. The lies that society spin try to trap and reduce the work of Jesus on the cross to something... A little bit overkill, wasn't it? But the truth of the matter is so much greater, so much bigger. We were dead. You were dead. But the grace of God saved you. It can only be Him. It can only be Him. God's love is so far beyond comprehension, so amazingly huge, that you, a person dead by your own desires, has been saved because of His work when we understand the good news of salvation with clarity, it goes from being nice, 
a sweet, wholesome thing. Yeah, I'm a good person. Two, life-changing, earth-shattering with cosmic proportions. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) And it gets better. It gets even better. Because he hasn't just breathed new life into us. He seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And, and that infers an authority. You don't enter the court of a king as a pauper covered in rags. You enter as a son and a daughter. An adopted heir seated with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get better and better. It's even better. It still gets better what Paul's saying. There's more. In the coming ages, he will show you his immeasurable richness of grace in kindness towards us. That means it will take an eternity to even begin to fathom the richness of God's grace. What a gift. What a gift. This isn't health and wealth. Just for now, even though God blesses us. Look at the testimonies that we've just had. Isn't he good? But he loves us. He loves us so much that this is for now and forever in communion with the living God. Do you believe it? Amen. Great, because this is all a free gift from God. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There's a bit of a question popping up there. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. If it is truly a gift of God, then what's this faith business? Isn't that a work? Do I have to do something then? I've had people come up to me in the past, and they've said, oh, love what you've got. If I just had your faith, I'll be all right. But I don't, so good for you. They're reducing the gospel to nothing. The point of that as well is the lie, the world is reducing faith to just a byword for religion. What's your religion? Well, you hear people say, oh, what's your faith? What faith do you have? They don't mean faith. They mean, what's your religion? Can you spot the small lies that we're all confronted with every day to diminish the work of the cross? And the gospel does require a response. This message isn't a dead message that we lay passively and do nothing with. Paul made it very clear. This is not a good people in, bad people out. This is we were all dead. There's no goodness in our fallen state that can attain any form of in. So how do you respond to that? By faith. Faith is our response to God's grace. Faith is like taking a deep breath when you've been holding your breath for so long. God's grace comes and you go, that's the Lord. That is his freeing work in us. His grace. And we respond. And you breathe in his love. It's not me. It's not me trying to work. It's not me having to accomplish or achieve or attain any state. This is Jesus loving me while I was dead. While I was rejecting you, God, your grace came rushing after me. My faith is my response to that love. How do I respond? Do I trust it? Do I trust you, God? Is this truth? Yes. This illuminates what Paul says in Romans 5. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were enemies of God, and he chose to love us. We rejected him, and he loved us. We hated him, and he loved us. And all of this is not of our own doing, but the gift of God, so that no one can claim any one-upmanship on each other. And we should be humbled by this. This is awe-inspiring work that Jesus has done. If we accept this gift and recognize it as true, how are we to live in that faith? Paul goes on to say, we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, the plan has always been peace with God. Peace with God and with each other. The plan is to walk in the garden with God. You've been forgiven. You have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have been reunited with God. And so what better way than to respond with peace? Good works are a response to the saving grace of God. Not an act of attaining God's grace, but a response to it. And this again is all a gift. Because you know we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit with us. In everything that we do, he is with us. Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And truly he would be with us to the very end. And what better work is there than to tell people about this gospel message? Not to entertain people, show them a good time. Look, we're good, you're bad, come hear the good stuff. Now the greatest work out there is to tell people about this freedom. There are people out there holding their breath, waiting to breathe. We need to tell them about this promise of eternal kindness. And everyone has that option to breathe. The issues we all face today are big ones. War. Poverty. Cost of living crisis. It's no joke. There's so much uncertainty. And these are things that we as a church need and we must tackle head on. But our priority isn't feeding people with bread and water. Telling people about the saving grace of Jesus. And this is reflected in our mission. Our mission here at BFC. Go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Declare freedom to the captives and teach people to follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The band would like to come back up, please. The good news of Jesus is powerful. It's powerful. And it's clear. Paul's giving us clarity here. It can feel a bit uncomfortable, can't it? But the truth of the matter is this. It is good news. Let's not live as spiritual paupers who have lost sight of the extent of God's grace 
Let's embrace it. Let's embrace the richness and depth of his love fully. And this is exciting. If you believe this to be true, you can live life with an eternal perspective. God is fully sovereign over everything around us, around the world. And if you believe this, you get to spend eternity with the true sovereign king. And God is merciful. He is merciful. There's a pain sometimes for loved ones who don't know this truth. And I want us to leave this morning here understanding that we were dead. You reject Jesus, you are dead. But God is merciful. We do not stop praying for our loved ones. We want to live a life clothed in richness and we want to throw off our pauper rag and walk in that freedom. And Jesus is saying, yes, I am with you. And as much as you feel pain for those who don't, Jesus loves them even more than you do. Even more than you do. So take heart. Take heart. Let's tell people about Jesus. Let's show him his, the richness that we have in God. Because God is so good. And let's remember that. But God. But God. But God. Walk out of here and go, oh, that's terrible. But God. Right? But God. He is rich. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move on to some communion as well. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this passage. I want to thank you for the clarity with which Paul has written here about what we are without you. Lord, it is all about you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that this free gift that you so freely, freely lavished upon us, I want to thank you, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we'd all leave today knowing your goodness and your grace and how good you are and that the power of the work of you, Jesus, on the cross has cosmic proportions for all eternity. Amen.